Welcome to the podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com. Tonight, our scripture reading is going to come from the Gospel according to Luke. We're in Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin our reading in verse 1, and we're going to continue that reading through verse 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together this evening. Almighty God, I thank you for the miracle of Christmas. And Lord, I know in the midst of a a holiday season like this, it's easy for Christmas to become just yet another day. But Lord, I pray that tonight your Holy Spirit would help this to truly be a holy day within our hearts. I pray that the same Spirit that inspired these words to be written would open our hearts that we might see and behold a glimpse of your glory that is revealed in the truth that Christ your Son is born. It is in Jesus' mighty name that I pray these things. Amen. Amen. You can have your seat this evening. Again, welcome and Merry Christmas Eve. My name is David Ritchie, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer Christian Church, and I welcome you. Um, Welcome to all our Redeemer Christian Church members. Welcome to all the friends and family of our Redeemer Christian Church members. Welcome to all those that have come from out of town or from those that are simply in our community. We are grateful that you're here with us to celebrate the birth of our Savior 
Christ the Lord. Tonight we gather together to marvel at one of the most momentous truths in all of history. The theological term for this truth and this miracle is the incarnation. The word incarnation simply means that divinity has taken on humanity. That the word has become flesh and truly dwelt among us. That the God who created the heavens and the earth, the infinite God in whom we live and move and have our being, has entered into history and joined himself with his creation. In the words of the ancient Nicene Creed, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all worlds were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made men. That is a profound truth. That is a a, a truth that is so momentous that we now divide human history into two distinct eras, before and after the arrival of Jesus Christ into human history. So tonight, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, for in the birth of Jesus Christ is the true glory of Christmas. Here in Luke's Gospel, we have a vision of the very first Christmas. The most powerful man in the world at this moment in history is Caesar Augustus. No one would question that claim. In fact, he is the first emperor of the Roman Empire. And he's the first character that we will meet in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. He is this image of power. He is an image of conquest and opulent wealth. He is, is the very embodiment of the vaunted empires and the pride of men. In fact, Caesar Augustus will go so far to depict himself through laws and through coinage as one who is the son of a god, as one who has divine ancestry and a divine claim to his power. Now Caesar has sent out heralds into the world to declare his decrees. He wants to know just how powerful he is. He wants to know just how many people are within this domain that he rules But little does Caesar know that there is a sovereign God in heaven who's presiding over his very own actions and decisions. For the end of this decree that Caesar Augustus will make will not result in the glory of Caesar, but in the glory of God. A man named Joseph from Nazareth and his pregnant wife Mary travel by foot about 85 miles from the city of Nazareth in the northern part of Israel down to Jerusalem, and then into Bethlehem. There's no room for them to stay in this overcrowded city. So they're given accommodations that are really more appropriate for storage or for livestock. And it's in this precise moment of frenetic busyness and human self-worship that God enters into his own creation. Almost completely unnoticed. He enters into his own creation as a baby boy born to a poor couple in a forgotten corner of the world. Then we see this image of a literal army of angels surprising a group of unsuspecting shepherds. They sing of glory, and they proclaim that the Messiah, God's anointed liberator king, has been born. 
At long last, this centuries long of expectations and prophetic promises have come to a fulfillment. The angels themselves seem to be awestruck, worshiping heralds, proclaiming that the true king, a far greater king than Caesar could ever imagine, has now arrived. Now think about how odd it is that the angels themselves seem to be amazed in this moment. Think about what it would take to actually amaze an angel. These are essentially beings, spiritual beings that stand in the immediate presence of God. What would it cause them to have wonder and awe? Well, it's the truth that this holy transcendent God who has existed uncreated from eternity past loved his people so much that he has left his throne of glory. That the infinite God has folded himself into a human embryo to rescue his own creation from the power of sin and death. Angels marvel that a God this holy could also be so good. The great British preacher Charles Spurgeon had this to say concerning this famous miracle. He says, and now wonder ye angels, the infinite has become an infant. He upon whose shoulders the universe doth hang, hangs at his mother's breast. He who created all things and bears up the pillars of creation hath now become so weak that he must be carried by a woman. No wonder ye that knew him in his riches, whilst ye admire him in his poverty. Where sleeps the newborn king? Had he the best room in Caesar's palace? Had he a cradle of gold prepared for him and pillows of down on which to rest his head? No. Where the ox fed? the dilapidated stable, in the manger, there the Savior lies, swathed in the swaddling bands of the children of poverty. I pray that this Christmas we would be able to behold the beautiful and profound miracle of God becoming man and dwelling among us. That in beholding this beautiful truth, we would see some glimpse of God's glory that is revealed in it. And briefly, for the rest of our time today, I want to show you three ways God's glory is revealed in God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ. God's glorified three ways. Number one, he is glorified by his gospel. Number two, he is glorified in his people. And lastly, he is glorified in his saving mission. So point number one, God is glorified by his gospel. We'll take a look at the first words of the angels in Luke chapter 2. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, great joy that will be for all the people. Notice that the angel does not say, Behold, I bring you good advice about how you can live a better life. Behold, I give you good advice about how you can become a better you. No, the hope that the angel brings it is not about self-improvement or self-determination or behavior modification. This message is a gospel, which literally means good news. See, good advice is about what you can do for God. Good advice is about what you can do to get to God. Good news is a proclamation about what God has done for you about what God has done through the saving work of Jesus Christ to save us when we could have never saved ourselves. 
Moreover, I do think that there's a massive significance that this gospel is first announced not to the wealthy, not to the powerful, not to the particularly impressive or the pious, but to lowly shepherds. In the ancient Near East, to be a shepherd was not an impressive position in society. In fact, it would have been an abomination for an unclean shepherd to come in and sit down and eat with members of polite society. It was a shameful occupation, a dirty occupation. Yet it's such a group of shepherds who were serenaded by a heavenly choir. God is saying something to us in this. He's saying, my gospel is for the humble. My gospel is for the dirty. My gospel is for your shame. My gospel is not something you clean yourself up in order to receive. My gospel is what makes you clean. This announcement of good news isn't just for people out there. It's not for the pretty and perfect people who are out there or just abstractly in our minds, something that is for other people but not for us. No, the angels proclaim, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The gospel is for the unclean and for the unworthy. The gospel is for the weak and for the weary, for the hurt and the heartbroken. If you feel like you could never measure up or do anything to make you worthy of God's love, the gospel is an announcement for you. The gospel is the proclamation that despite our sin, despite our shame, Jesus Christ will make a way, and now he has made a way to reconcile God and humanity. It's for this reason that the angels sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It leads us to point number two, that God is glorified in his people. We'll continue our reading in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. This text shows us that contrary to our hyper-individualistic culture, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ's arrival, has not created a mere privatized spiritual experience. The gospel has created a gathering. It has created this motley community of aliens and outcasts Dirty blue-collar shepherds, a carpenter, a teenage mother, all gathered around Jesus. Later on, Matthew will inform us that this party is even going to be crashed by several wise men from the east. See, even as an infant, Jesus has already gathered an unlikely and uncommonly diverse group of people from all different walks of life. Through his son, God is creating a new people people who are no longer primarily defined by their nationality, people that are no longer primarily defined by their wealth or their social status. Today, we call this unlikely gathering of people the church of Jesus Christ. See, through his son, God has created this radical new community, and this radical new community centered around Jesus is profoundly needed in our own age. It's something that the watching world needs to behold right now in this moment. After all, our society is marked by strife and suspicion. Right now, we have been polarized by principalities and powers into endless culture wars and divisions that are oftentimes based on nothing more than just group identity. 
Now more than ever, we need the transforming, community-creating, hatred-healing love that only Jesus Christ can bring. Our final point is that God is glorified through his saving mission. Towards the end of our text this evening, Luke tells us, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds do not leave their encounter with Jesus Christ and remain the same. They glorify God. They praise God. They become heralds of what they have beheld. In the same way, the gospel of Jesus Christ requires a response from us. We cannot respond to Jesus with nominal adherence or lip service. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Jesus is worthy of our adoration. Jesus is worthy of our obedience and our submission. Jesus is worthy of our highest allegiance. Jesus is worthy of our proclamation. Indeed, the New Testament will tell us that we are called to be ambassadors of this good news. We are called to be those that herald that the king has come and that his kingdom is coming soon. And before we conclude our time, I want to point your attention to something that might be easy for some of us to miss, but it was virtually impossible for the shepherds to miss, and that is the sign of the manger. This particular sign was so important that the author of Luke mentions it three times in this one passage. The angels have just announced this astonishing claim that the Messiah, the long-awaited, anointed liberator king, has arrived. The shepherds have been commissioned to find him, and the way they're going to find him and designate him as the Messiah is that he will be lying in a manger. Now, why would this be so significant? Well, it's significant because it's unexpected. It's, in some ways, scandalous. While Caesar sits on his throne in Rome in power, glory, and comfort, God has stepped off of his throne in heaven and in great humility lies as a baby within a feeding trough. For the shepherds, for us as readers of Luke's gospel, this should signify that God intends to save his people. But he's going to do so in a way that defies all of our expectations about power and glory. The reason that Christ came to this earth was ultimately to live the life we should have lived and die the death that we deserved. As theologian J.I. Packer once wrote, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. See, the light of this world came into this world. But for a brief moment, that light was extinguished. It looked like darkness had won. Praise God that that is not the end of the story. That is not the end of the gospel. Because you see, the third day after Jesus died on a cross, he rose again to newness of life. He victoriously overcame the powers of sin and death. And one day he will come to make all things new. It's for that day that we long 
And we cry out with the spirit and the bride, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Christmas reminds us that the light of Christ's coming kingdom is already dawning. That the light of this truth is already shining. And we are called in this moment to be bearers of that light. So the Christmas season, may we be a people who marvel at the glory of God. Let us be amazed along with the angels. And like the unworthy shepherds, let us go forth to bear good news of the light of Christ's birth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God of our gospel, God of glory, we praise you and we thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, into this world. May your Holy Spirit now fill us with wonder and awe as we celebrate this truth on this holy night. In response to your truth, Lord, I pray that we would worship and adore you as the shepherds and the angels of old. Lord, thank you that your light shines in our darkness. May we now be faithful to shine that light unto the world around us. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Messiah, that we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Redeemer Christian Church. Our mission is to declare the gospel with our words and display the gospel with our lives to our neighbors and to the nations. And your financial support makes resources like this possible. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider supporting us and our mission at RedeemerChristianChurch.com backslash give. And thank you for listening.